0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 24th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Harm reduction is a concept well-known to physicians, but strikes fear in the heart of many politicians because it can connote a tolerance for drug use and other socially disfavored activities. Cato's Jeff Singer sat down with former U.S. Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders ahead of Cato's conference on harm reduction. Unfortunately, one of the unconventional views in this country uh, towards substance use and addiction is the uh, the concept of harm reduction. And historically, you've been an advocate for harm reduction, not just in, in, in the area of drug use, but in the area of public health in general since as far back as, as I can remember. So would you talk about how harm reduction is a general principle of public health? Well,
1: if we think about uh, public health, I think you know, we have to think about part of the, causes and what harm does it cause and the consequences and what can we do about it. And the important thing that we want to do is we want to, we're about prevention and we want to reduce harm. I I was, years ago when I first started, I was really about working hard with things like teenage pregnancy, but I wanted to reduce unplanned pregnancies and I wanted every child to be a planned, wanted child. I've never felt, when we talked about drugs and alcohol, I never felt that our jails was the right approach. What we did was we made the United States the world's baddest jailer. Yes. And, And I think that, and we didn't reduce the use of drugs. And of course, the young people that it, most affected, that bothered me the most, of course, was young, especially young black males that was uh, much harmed by our laws related to drugs and alcohol, and especially marijuana.
0: I recall back in your days as Surgeon General, you were talking about uh, when it came to uh, sex education in the schools that uh, I think, didn't you once refer to uh, insisting on abstinence is a form of child abuse?
1: Yes, and I and I still feel like that. I feel, well, abstinence without education and not providing young people the resources and what they need to protect themselves is child abuse. The same thing, I think, related to young people with drugs. You, you know, I think the earlier young people start using drugs, the more trouble, or the more long-lasting and more trouble they like to get into. And so I think we have to start early. We have to educate our young people. We have to get the community involved. We have to get everybody involved to really make a difference. And we have to create a community that's where young people feel accepted, protected, and, and safe at homes, at schools, at ter- wherever, because the reason they end up going to drugs often is because of problems everywhere, elsewhere.
0: And many addiction uh, specialists believe that asking uh, people who have this compulsive behavioral disorder to just abstain is, again, a form of abuse. It's asking the impossible. It's more important to focus on what will get them safer will will get them uh, help them avoid
1: harm i i definitely agree and you know, i'm not a drug abuse treatment specialist but just ask somebody to really abstain without helping them to moderate or to slowly begin to ease into things that they can do to reduce this compulsive, repetitive behavior just makes no sense at all. We can't jail ourselves out of this problem. We've tried, and it's failed. You famously said, I I have a
0: quote here in uh, the Memphis Flyer back in 1995, quote, if drugs were more available, there will be more users, but not more addicts. Only 5% of those take drugs. who take drugs become addicted. And you said, we need to educate young people not to use drugs, and we need to keep it out of their hands, but we don't need to make them criminals if they use drugs. Once they get out of prison, only 20% of those serving time on drug charges will ever get a job. And you've long advocated for Basically, I think you asked. President Clinton wants to look into legalizing all drugs. Talk yes. about that, please.
1: Well, I first started out. You know, I you know I was asked. You know, whether I felt that we should le- make all drugs legal. I think we started out. We was really talking about marijuana at the time, or cannabis, rather than all drugs. But I felt that we, you know, we should look at that. We, should, we go back, have to go back and look at the history of how they became illegal. They weren't always illegal. And so when we go back and look at the history, we found that much of it was really done as punishment, not as a form of treatment or to reduce drug use. So I very much think that the way the country is moving now, to look at cannabis and making it legal or acceptable, will reduce the number of young people or people in prisons because they don't really learn any new behaviors. They really learn to be criminals. And they're more likely to repeat. They're less likely to end up being able to get a job or to be able to get federal funding for their education. They are more likely to end up yeah, you know, on the streets and doing the things that got them into trouble, into trouble in the first place. So we, I feel that we need, we as a society, need to totally rethink our drug laws and what we're doing because obviously, what we're doing is not working.
0: I think you also have some personal uh, experiences with yes. this because your son, I think, battled uh, cocaine addiction. Am yes, that
1: correct? my son very much battled cocaine addiction. He was drug free i think absolutely drug free for more than 15 years he but this was after four or five very expensive drug treatment centers finally i think he was drug free and then yeah, yeah, but it's a relapsing disease so he relapsed again uh but, but i think he's doing well now it's very expensive it's very difficult and it's very hard and it's destructive for the the person. It's just, you know, he was really, you know, in a very, you know, he had an MBA and was in a very good position and a good company and was moving up. But, you know, obviously he lost his position. Uh, and it's dist- hard for the family. It's hard for the community. Hard for the church. Hard is very difficult and very on everybody involved. But, you you wonder how
0: much though of the harm that we see when people use or become addicted to illicit drugs is a direct result of the fact that the drugs are illegal, which which of course makes them more dangerous and uh, makes users have to interact and intersect with communities uh, of criminals.
1: That's you are exactly right. I think that uh, I think that's a big part of the problem. I think we, as a community, have created part of our drug problem because we do not, rather than provide good, uh, uh, well, I'll say supportive kinds of treatment centers, well, what we do is we say abstinence or nothing. And with that, oh, what? only for only 14% of the people who go into these treatments really do well for long periods of time and most of them are so expensive until obviously poor people can't get treatment let me just ask
0: something historically and you in your tenure as a surgeon general actually even before you became surgeon general early in your career you were uh, advocating for sex education Proper sex education. Yes. You were very upset that uh, textbooks were inaccurate, particularly with respect to black women. And um, uh, you thought that uh, there were some, I think, ministers uh, uh, ministering to black women, telling them to avoid uh, birth control because they considered it a black genocide. And you had to do but a we're lot not of not
1: only black. People, people. It was a lot of people feeling that birth control was black genocide. And let me see that this really kept so many of our young people from getting the proper amount of contracept proper contraceptives. They ended up they were get didn't get an education. They had to drop out of school because for a while you couldn't even go to school, high school, if you were pregnant. And I felt that that law, those laws were to keep them poor. If you aren't educated, you're poor. Ignorant and slaves.
0: Okay. And and then one last question I have for you. Of course, there was a very famous incident when you were speaking at an AIDS conference, I think at the United Nations. Yes. And, uh, um I think that you might have been misrepresented in the media about your comments regarding masturbation so uh, I wonder if you could discuss that
1: Well we was at, it was at a World AIDS conference at, at the United Nations and I was asked a question and we was talking about the ways to prevent reduce the spread of AIDS and we talked about the ABCD of AIDS prevention A abstinence B be faithful, C use a latex condom, and D do other things. And those other things, one of those other things was uh, I was asked was masturbation. And then you know, well, you know, we've been taught, of many people have been that masturbation was a sin. And if you masturbate, your hair grow on your hands. You'll go blind. You'll go crazy. Well, of course, none of those things will happen. And then, you know, I always say that once, one of the things you knew that during masturbation that you were having sex with somebody you loved, and that was yourself.
0: Well, that got you into a lot of trouble back in 1994.
1: Yes. But it's true. We know that, what, 90-plus percent of men masturbate, 80-plus percent of women masturbate, and the rest lie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jocelyn Elders is a former U.S. Surgeon General. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.